Welcome to ALFC's Message of the Week. Pastor Steve shares the importance of understanding the battle we face, Satan's strategy to tempt us through deception. Turn with me to uh, that first uh, epistle to the Corinthian church, right? Corinthians chapter 1. And uh, we're going to look at chapter 2, and that's on page 1003, if you got the right Bible. And uh, this is uh, pretty amazing uh, as we're walking this journey, a new journey, you and I, about overcoming the mess. Can you say amen to that? Um, I just, you know, you think about what was happening in the church here and all that was taking place. It's, uh, it's pretty, uh, pretty amazing when we, as we're going to walk through this chapter by chapter. And it's so uh, relevant to today. Um, it's talking here in the second chapter about the wisdom of God. And that's pretty important, the wisdom of God. What does that mean? And the church here was struggling with things just like we're struggling. Um, I almost kind of had this sense that when, when uh, you know, the, Paul, who was writing, the Apostle Paul, when he's writing this amazing uh, letter, at this point in the letter, he almost sounds like a football coach at halftime. You know, you've ever, uh, you know, when I was coaching football, every now and then, uh, you know, especially in high school, you, you weren't doing so good. And the team that, um, uh, that I was uh, uh, coaching, I was a defensive coach, and of course we had our head coach there. And we'd go back in the locker room, and it seemed to happen uh, fairly regularly that we needed to encourage the team to get back up, and it's okay, we got the second half, right? And it's one of those things, I remember one time, we were actually had done a really well, it was a kind of a good season, and it just seemed like, you know, we're kind of, I don't know, a second to the last game, and we're thinking championships, right? We might just make it in and all that. And it's like the team just was giving up. It's like they were, I don't know, they were tired, there was all kinds of things going on, and, you know, we were aware of a lot of life circumstances. I still remember you know, the coach and I, we were talking. He said, what are we, we going to say to these guys? They got to get in there. They got to wake up. We have a chance here. And, you know, that kind of athletic thing. And so we went in there. And I remember saying to them, a head coach started. Then he said, so, Coach Wexler, what do you got to say? And I said, you know what I got to say is let's get back to the basics, guys. I mean, and I looked at my defense guy. All I want you to do is just tackle. Anything that moves, bring it down, okay? <laughs> and if you see the ball, go for it. And that's all I want you. Don't think about anything else. You see the ball, go for the ball. You see someone moving, get them to stop moving. Let's get out there and do it. Can you say amen to that? Right? And so, really simple. And we went out there, and they had an amazing second half. They lost, but they had an amazing second half. (laughs) I was so proud of these guys. And they came back, you know what? And they felt good. They literally came back because the score was ridiculously uncomfortable uh, and the other team's uh, benefit. And by the time we got done, they were just barely ahead. It was like one touchdown. They won by one touchdown. We, it was like, you know, it was one of those games you'd love watching and playing because it got down the last couple minutes. And, you know, the team did amazing. You know, and that's exactly what uh, kind of the idea here. Look with me in the first uh, five verses. It says, And I, brethren... When I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. Um, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He says, "I, I determined not to know anything among you except, say that with me, 
Jesus Christ and Him crucified. One more time. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's like saying, get back to the basics, guys. That's all that's saying. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I love this. You know, you got to remember, the Apostle Paul was a brilliant scholar. I mean, you think about all that he did, how God used him, and everything that he was a part of. I mean, so much of our New Testament comes through him, and God used him in some absolutely amazing way. He probably could have come and blown apart any intellectual argument. I'm convinced of that. But I thought of the time that he was dealing with, it's just like today. There's a lot of intellectual arguments. There's a lot of talk about science, and there's a lot of talk about proofs, and, and we'll talk about that later on. I've been, I've been looking at you know, the idea of apologetics and, and how it is that you and I can, can talk and, and speak of the gospel of Jesus in a way that, let me use the word, is intelligent. But here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. You know, I, I, I could probably overwhelm you with this idea of human wisdom. But let me tell you something. My faith does not depend upon clever arguments or some oratory that is amazing and bright and brilliant. It's not about anyone being this amazing motivational speaker. Because here's what's going to happen. If you rely on that in order to know your faith, someone's going to come along and undermine that. Because here's something I've learned. Here's the truth. There's always someone better. As soon as you think you're doing really good, along comes somebody, and they are so much better. You know, it's like that's kind of how it works. But faith grounded in the power of God will never be undermined. Never be undermined. Because you can't undermine the power of God. And what the Word is saying is, listen, we have this message. Let's, let's keep it simple. Let's get back to the basics. Let's understand the message is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Say that with me again. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I just want you and I to understand. I've had a lot of conversations with people who are very concerned about the language and being able to counter things and being able to you know, argue and debate and all these things. And I think it's kind of scary when you think about that. I mean, even when I think about, you know, they, I'm, I, every now and then I'm, you know, I, I get in these conversations with people and we're talking about the whole idea of, you know, what's, you know, what, you know, here's a new discovery, here's something coming out, and it's like they want to argue the truth of God's Word. And I, I just learned to keep it simple. You know, I talk about my experience. I mean, you can't argue about my experience. I mean, you know, when, when I've had this amazing you know, uh, experience of Jesus. I want to share that with people. And then I want you to know that it's just about the power of God, Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and the fact that He rose. I mean, the whole idea is, is that He went to the cross, He conquered death and hell, and then, you know, he, He's resurrected, and then ascended into heaven. And who's going to argue against that? He said, again, 
there's so much that is, I think, challenging. And, and we need to learn, it doesn't matter, to be able to just share, it, and let me put it this way, the gratitude, the faith, and the grace of God in your life. That will overwhelm because God then, by his Holy Spirit, can really affect change in people's lives, even the most difficult. I mean, here the writer of this was one of the most difficult that you could imagine. And you think, and what was it that changed the Apostle Paul's life? The power of God. It wasn't a clever argument. It wasn't a rabbinical discussion. It was by the power of God where on the road of Damascus met this man and changed his life. Can you see men of that church? God is about changing lives. And here it is, a realization of what God can do. And take it from someone that I just, I, I really do believe this. Some of the reasons that I feel the peace of God when I stand in front of you is because I don't have to have a super duper intellectual argument or oratory of something. You know, I, I mean, I, I know my limitations. I know what I can and can't do. And I've just learned to depend upon the power of God. Yes. And even when I do that, every now and then I do make mistakes. I know it's pretty rare, but... Uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's fun when you, when you speak to remember all the things you said that were stupid. <laughs> sometimes, I know in my case, my brain goes way too fast and my mouth cannot keep up with it, you know. I remember one time I was... I, li- I had a word from God, and I was sharing this word from God. I'll never forget it. And there was this quiet, powerful moment. And I said, and may, may the Lord bring the tears to your ears. <laughs> and people were laughing just like you just did, right? And I had no idea why. And I kind of looked. Uh, Pastor Ken was, was kind of around there. He was kind of mouthing. I'm thinking, what? What are you saying? And and then all of a sudden, someone said, uh, Pastor, eyes, not ears. And everyone's laughing. And I said, okay. But you know what? Can I tell you? I thought, okay, that's it. We've lost you. It's not happening. That service, we saw a whole bunch of people receive Jesus. Because it wasn't about what I said. It was about what God was doing. I got to tell you... uh, just to follow up on that, we were doing Wednesday night services, and this uh, a believer at our church, a female who was just amazing, respected her and all that, came up and said, you know, I've got a, I got a word from God for you. I thought, oh, great. This is going to be good. I mean, I was excited about it. And she said, you remember last Sunday, and I had kind of explained to the, you know, the church sometimes my brain gets, I mean, I, you know, doesn't keep up, uh, my mouth doesn't keep up with my brain. I said, they just were not in sync. Right? And so I just said brain, mouth, they weren't working together, so that's why it happened. Anyway, she came up and said, you know, here's what God said to me. It's true that your brain and mouth are not always in sync. And then she stopped for a second. I thought, that's the word from God. (laughs) And then she said something great. She said, but you know what? God said they don't have to be in sync because it's always by my grace. So I want you to hear that for yourself. (laughs) 
You know, I, I think when uh, we understand, so the, the Apostle Paul continues and he tells us about spiritual wisdom. Just look at, look at this passage. Let's read it through once and then we'll talk. It says, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom of God ordained before the ages of our glory, which none of the rulers of the age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. That's a very powerful statement. We'll come back to that. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. Listen to that. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. I don't know about you, but when I read this passage begin to realize that he's talking about maturity in terms of growing up in the things of God. We are all maturing. We are all growing. Every one of you will never be done. Can you say amen to that? Amen. And he's just kind of affirming that right now. And he's, he's talking about that there's this, I love it, there's a growing process. And then he compares, and he's doing what we just talked about, the philosophy of the, the time in contrast to the understanding of what God was doing. Just like today, it's exactly like today, when you think of all the debates and the discussion going on. And he said, you know, what's happened is we're living in a time where God has unwrapped the mystery. Do you realize everything previous to that was a mystery? So much of the understanding of the word, everything that was brought to them, was still a little bit uh, unclear and then the coming of Jesus and the revelation that is followed by way of the Holy Spirit, do you realize how privileged we are to live in a time where everything has been opened up and made known? Amen. That is, an, and Paul's saying, listen, this is an amazing thing. It says, verse 9, but as it is written, he's referring again right back to Isaiah. He's connecting to the prophet Isaiah. And even before, like it says, that eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered in the heart of man. In other words, this has been unfolded for literally centuries. And everything's been moving towards this amazing moment. I mean, I want you to understand, you're a prophetic people. Your life is all about what God has already spoken of. And right now, where we are today has been an ongoing movement of God bringing you to this amazing place where here you are and not by accident. And that's exactly what Paul is writing. He says, we're in this amazing place of great privilege. Listen, we've talked about anxieties and insecurities. We've talked about loneliness, some of the things that plague the world today we live in. We talked about, you know, the social issues of, you know, you know, the struggles today. A lot of people are, you know, have tremendous anxiety, tremendous insecurity. There's a lot of lonely people today. I mean, they've been doing a lot of inter interesting studies and research, and because they're finding in the midst of with all this technology, you would think we would feel just so together and, you know, a part of something. But what we're discovering, it just isn't true. That even with all the Facebook and all the technology that connects us, they're discovering human beings are still battling even more so with the idea of loneliness. 
because we're actually separating from each other, right? I mean, it just makes sense. I mean, you sit here and you do all this, you know, interaction on your device, but you're not actually with human beings. There is something that is life-changing about just being with people, right? It really is important. And so the Word of God is acknowledged that we need to remember that there is something at work that is trying to do this. This isn't just us making a mistake. And here's what, here's what this Word is now saying, is that there is an invisible and a visible. There is spiritual warfare. I want you to begin to realize that it's not just, there is a strategic plan, if you will. There is something at work that is trying to do this. And again, I think we forget about the church's... I, this is a bit of a challenge for the church to remember that there is a real spiritual battle. There is something going on. And part of the battle is, is actually taking place, and I see it in our move towards, if you will, secular wisdom, in our move towards worldly wisdom and understanding. And now it's like somehow we have to believe the Word of God in somehow parallel to all of these understandings. And if we can't do that, then I guess I'm not going to believe. I need science, I need evidence, I need empirical data. I was just listening to someone talking about the struggle they have because there's not enough empirical data. You know what empirical data is, right? Observational information that you can see. In other words, I'm not going to believe it until I see it. I can touch, in other words, use my senses. There's a lot of people, they believe, I've got to touch, I've got to use all my senses. If I don't, and Paul right now is writing, the Word of God is talking to us and saying, yeah, but there are things that you aren't going to see. So that means if you don't see it, you can't believe it. If you can't observe it in that way, using your five senses. And so right now, that's why this writing is coming across and he's trying to remind us, and he's declaring the rulers, uh, the powers. He's talking about, and that word is being used intentionally. What that word is talking about, the prince of the air. He's talking about Satan right now. Paul is directly addressing evil and the fact that there are rulers of the age who are coming to nothing. Now, he's kind of encouraging everyone, saying, listen, as, as much as we might be concerned about all that, they're going to lose. He's a man of that. It doesn't feel like they're losing, right? I mean, there are times when I'm, I look at this and I think, wow, I wish we could like win a little quicker here. But do you see this? I mean, start to think about this. The movies, the TV, the media, the things that are being written, the, the kind of things, have you just kind of got, is anyone getting a sense as you're looking at all the new stuff coming up that there's a lot of evil stuff coming up? I, I was watching, looking at some of the, like the previous stuff, I thought, it's July, and everything looked like Halloween. I feel like it's like Halloween in July. I thought Christmas in July, I understand that, but Halloween in July. And there was all these, like, there are so many things coming up that are kind of ugly. A lot of the, even, and, and do you notice how sexual a lot of things are coming up? There's a lot of things about that are not hitting us that have to do with, I mean, it is all over the place. People are are engaging in sexual activity like it doesn't matter. There's you know, the whole, in other words, I, I, it's going on and on. It's everywhere right now. The sexual increase, the immorality, the evil, the, the ugliness. I mean, when is zombieism going to end? <laughs> That's its own theology. I mean, it's like we're fascinated with 
weird stuff, our culture. So here's what's happening. And I want you to see it. This isn't just, you know, happenstance. I am convinced that this is evil in the invisible coming against us. Now, I want you to get this. The Apostle Paul where God was writing this and saying, okay, you guys need to wake up. A lot of what's going on, the mess that we're in, is because you have forgotten that you are in a spiritual battle. And you need to pray with that understanding that you are in a spiritual battle. And so we want to pray against the powers and the principalities that exist and come against them because a lot of times we're, I think we're praying for the wrong things. We need to pray against those powers that are doing everything it can to bring not only the church down, but to bring you down. See what's happening here. And listen, there's, we, we, it's a very real battle. I mean, Ephesians talks about this battle. We are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against persons without bodies. The evil rulers of the unseen world, those mighty satanic beings and great princes of darkness who rule this world against huge members of wicked spirits in the spirit world. I was talking with someone about this, literally having this conversation. Uh, someone is around, I think, late 20s, uh, maybe a little older than that. And we were talking about this, and I could see the struggle because it was like cause the brain was going to, well, yeah, I've watched movies about this. You know, The Lord of the Rings, uh, uh, all kinds of, mentioning a bunch of you know, crazy things. And it was almost like, I don't know if I can believe this because it sounds like it's just a fantasy. Can you see the strategic plan of Satan to get you to think that this isn't real? That's just a fantasy. It's just an imagery. It's metaphorical. It's not real. But what this is really telling, if you look at this clearly and you study this, this is real. Look, it says, earlier it says, he raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand of heavenly places, far above, what? All principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet. That's the acknowledgement that, in fact, Jesus Christ is raised above all else. But it's also talking about not just back then, but for all ages to come, which includes today. You are in the age to come right now. You're living there. So this is talking to you. Colossians, and you can read, I gave you the whole section there. I'll just read one verse. For by him all things were created are uh, in heaven on the earth, visible and invisible, whether the thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. So once again, there's the acknowledgement that there is visible and invisible. There, there, there is this thing going on, and right now there is a battle going on, and it's not a fantasy. It's not something we make up. And here's my concern is the church today is moving away from this. And we're not battling like we need to battle. And so we're giving ground because we're like ignoring this stuff. And uh, we need to see that Satan has a strategic operational plan. You know, I I was thinking about this even in terms of like military understanding and, and all the things you realize. Now, there's this great passage. Read Chronicles 21. Because this is the first time, I want to use this as an illustration, 
This was the first time when Satan's name was mentioned and this whole thing was coming up. And you begin to see from this how this was working. It says, now Satan stood up against Israel. And look what it says, and moved David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring the number. Matter of fact, Beersheba, we're going to be there in like six months or so. Can you say amen of that? So you can see the spot. This is like so cool. And bring the number of them to me that I may know. It goes on, verse 7. And God was displeased with this thing, therefore he struck Israel. So David said to God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing, but now I pray, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Okay, I want you to go back and see what's happening here. So David realizes he did something wrong. So here's what happened. Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. And moved David to number Israel. See, once again, the same thing that happened with David can happen to us. And so I want you to begin to see that this is no different than Adam and Eve. I mean, the serpent was moving against Adam and Eve, right? You know the story, Genesis chapter 2, 3. Okay, quick review. This, basically, the serpent, who was Satan, comes against Eve and tries to convince her that everything that God has said is just like, you know, out to lunch. I've got a better way. And we use this word, what does the serpent do to Eve? He attempts to deceive her. Say that word with me, deceive. Okay, that's the big deal. And unfortunately, she bought into it. Now, we all know what should have happened. The same thing should have happened with Eve and Adam that should have happened here with David. And, what should, and we, already, we talked about this. That's why I'm bringing a re- quick review. Eve, at that moment when she was thinking, I'm going to go eat, we know it wasn't really an apple, but we'll call it the apple from the tree you know, of good and evil that she wasn't supposed to eat. Before she did that, she should have done what? Gone to God and say, hey, God, is this okay if I eat this apple? Or even better, if she was afraid to talk to God, should have gone to her husband and said, like, Adam, what do you think about this? Should I eat this? Let's, let's, let's be a team together. Let's work together. Let's join together. And what do you think about eating this apple? And Adam should have said, wow, it does look pretty good. Let's go talk to God first. That's why the word says Adam sinned first, because what did Adam not do? Right? Didn't go talk to God? See, we want to blame Eve. She deserves some of the blame. But not all of it. I sign more responsibly to Adam. Okay, David. Same thing. David is being moved by the enemy. At this moment, he, what didn't he do? Hey, God, I kind of feel like I ought to go number Israel because I think it really would impress you about how many we got right now. And I know numbers impress everybody. So I want to go do this thing. What do you think, God? Good idea? And God would say... I could care less about numbers because you ain't going to win by the numbers. You're going by the power of God. Why do you need to number anything? Well, because I want to. Because, <laughs> you know, I mean, it just seems like a good idea. And, I mean, great marketing strategy, you know, and all those, I can just see the discussion going on with the marketing director. And, yeah, this is a really great idea. We should do this. But he didn't. And he went ahead anyway. Now here's the point. It says there that Satan stood up against Israel and moved David 
So I want you to see some things here about what's taking place here because one of the main strategies, and this is what is being addressed here to the church in Corinth, is that Satan's main strategy is temptation through deception. I've given you some other verses to look at. There's Matthew when um, Jesus dealt with the devil. And do you remember what he said? Thou shalt not what? Tempt the Lord your God. I mean, you've got to realize this is a strategic plan. So here's what's happening. When the Satan moved on David, he was affecting, trying to affect his thoughts. He was trying to tempt him through deception. And there was this, this thing going on in David's head. And who knows who else was coming around. We don't have all the details. But somehow he got deceived into thinking this was a really good thing. That's why you and I checking out the Word of God before we do anything, learning to read the Word, talk to people who might have a little bit more understanding than you do, before you do something, especially big somethings like numbering an entire nation, you ought to check in first and see, God, is this something you really want me to do? Not maybe considering you're being deceived to do what you're going to do. I mean, I've seen people who have been deceived to step out of ministry, uh, to stop attending church, to stop reading the Bible, stop praying. They, they've been tricked and deceived, and I've heard it, and it's like they're being tempted to do bad, and they get trapped into it, and they don't realize that they were moved against. You know, when I pray for someone who I know that's happening, I pray, God, please bring back the passion. I also say, and in the name of Jesus, I pray for just protection against the principalities and powers that are trying to move against that person's heart right now. When's the last time you prayed that way? When's the last time you prayed against the powers of darkness so that light would win over, so that the Lord would win over? All of my boys, I remember praying repeatedly for their protection spiritually. You know, when I heard, you know, one of my kids are having nightmares and stuff, we would talk about it. We, and I remember Lois and I trying to figure out what was going on. I remember one time, <clears throat> I will never forget, uh, one of, our, one of our, our boys, I mean, was like nightmares every night. We, we could not, so we just started praying against, you know, whatever was going on. God revealed because we felt this was a spiritual battle. It wasn't just normal developmental stuff and all that, you know, because that's the first thing you think, right? World, world information, knowledge, you know, go talk to your pediatrician. That must be the answer. It's what he, you know, something's in the bottle, the formula, you know. I shouldn't have given him pizza. He's too young. I don't know. And so he's having bad thoughts. <laughs> you know what God revealed? That it was a spiritual battle. I remember trying to figure it out, and I soon discovered what you didn't realize is my son was going to sleep to a tape that he got from McDonald's. And the McDonald's tape that he got was one of those tapes at the time that was pre-Halloween. And the whole thing was about ghosts and goblins. And I, listen, I had not listened to it. I just, McDonald's, what, what bad comes from McDonald's? And I listened to this thing, I thought, oh no. There's been probably a week worth of every night going to sleep to these haunting noises that I didn't realize was going on because he was putting it in himself because it was his McDonald's tape. It was special. And he heard from me, McDonald's, I mean, 
Happy Meals are the best. The toys are amazing. We don't go buy the food. We're buying the toy. <laughs> the minute we removed that, I remember, the minute we removed that tape, man, I, I was so angry. I was angry at Satan trying to get at my son. I was angry at myself for not being alert to that. And, man, I busted that thing and burned it in the fire. And I was so, man, when that thing went up in smoke, I was so happy. I mean, those, remember cassette tapes, right? Some of you might remember. You know, I rip them apart. And, man, they melt and stink and all kinds of smoke. I mean, I'm, I was certain when the smoke came up, I was, the, you know, the devil was being flying out there, right? <laughs> I really didn't see bad spirits coming out, but I saw a lot of smoke going up. Guess what stopped? Absolutely. Took a couple days, but they stopped. That's spiritual battle. So what's happening, David was being tempted through deception. See, Satan's main target for deception are all leaders. And here's something that you might think, well, leaders, I mean, that must be like David. No, no, no. You're all leaders. You have a home. You lead your home. Satan wants to come against anyone who, because we know that one of the first things is we lead our own lives. You are a leader for your life. You may be a leader of your family, a leader at work. You might be a leader in your community, a leader in church, a leader of a kid's classroom, whatever that is. Here's the thing is you are now a target that Satan wants to come and deceive you so that you will not be effective. If he can do anything to get you to stop using your abilities, your talents, all the amazing things that are going on, then he feels like he's winning. I think sometimes even sickness and and illness and diseases can come because I think there's a battle going on to eliminate really good people from doing amazing things. So deception is a very real thing. And coming against all leaders, and that's why First Timothy says we need to pray, especially for those who, I mean, I mean, what better way than bringing down the leader of a church? I was going through the a history of, uh, in my own head, of the last um, about, uh, well, probably 20 years of all the leaders that were brought down. My heart kind of broke. I thought every one of these men and women were brought down because I'm convinced of deception. And, and the aftermath was huge. I mean, Mark Driscoll, uh, Tilton, uh, Mike Hines, Swaggart, Gothard. Gothard. I used to go to Gothard. I mean, this is a long time ago, but I used to go to his seminars. He was like the big gun of, you know, learning how to live life well and everything else. And I, I will never forget the day I found out that he was then arrested and accused of molesting and raping um, teenage girls. Yeah, I felt the same way. So I was like, it broke my heart. And I thought, I won't tell you the first word that came to my mind. It went along the sound lines of crumb. <laughs> and I thought, oh, Satan, you won again. Now, he didn't win, win. But I could see the deception that brought down Jim Baker, uh, Ted Hager, John Hagee, T.J. Jakes. You begin to look at their life and their history. These are people that some of you would even, I just mentioned them, you might think and admire. And you don't realize that when you look at their history, the deception that came against them and the theology that they got trapped into 
the, the way they were living life, their marriages, their children. You begin to read this stuff and you begin to see, wait a second, there is a strategic plan going on here. I'm well aware of that as your pastor. I'm surrounded by amazing people that I know pray for me, protect me. I've got men and women that if anything tries to come against me, man, I, I literally know. I mean, Pastor Ken and I kind of have this thing. He's like my armor barrier, bearer. And so when the enemy comes, he steps in front of me, and I let him step in front of me so he can take the darts. Can you see a of that? <laughs> That's our joke. But so... We need each other because deception is hard to see sometimes. Sometimes it's difficult to see how the enemy is targeting. And this purpose for the deception is to dishonor God, ultimately dishonor God. Because here's what's going to happen. Oh, yeah, there you go. Oh, a bunch of godly people. Look what they're doing. Now, of course, there's just a few here, and because of their notoriety, it looks like you know, we want to talk about the 99% that are doing really well. We don't want to talk about all the rest of us that are living life really well. We don't see that, right? But we hear about the few that are going on. But that's the point of this. Because how many times do, and how many of you know people that won't step foot in a church because of this very reason? Because they're going, wait a second, I heard about church. That's a bunch of, you know, we were kidding. You know, it's all about uh, the, the top, it's all about money, right? So you go to church, they just want your money. They don't care about you. Or, or it's, it, you know, a bunch of unhealthy, you know, people. They're all hypocrites at church. I love that statement when someone tells me. They're just a bunch of hypocrites at church. I wouldn't step foot in there. I always, this is the easiest argument, right? Some of you have heard me say this. It's just, it's just so you go to work? Now, don't you work for the government? And, and so there's no hypocrites at your shop, at your, at your, where you're working? And they look at you like, huh, that's work. I said, is there any place you can go where you're not going to find that kind of stuff? But that's a deception to think, because here's the thing, is, well, church ought to be different. Well, that's work. Work, I expect to see that. Church, I shouldn't. Right? You shouldn't see in your family, but you do. I mean, on and on it goes. Can you see the deception and the craziness of this? The point is to bring shame and judgment upon all believers. Because here's the thing. Shame is one of the most powerful negative emotions. And if we can, shame means that you own it. It's like that's, that identifies me. I am one of those hypocrites. I'm one of those evil people. I'm one of those ugly religious people. And if Satan can get you trapped there, then guess what? You are going to be neutralized in your effect because here's what you're thinking. I don't want to ever be perceived or seen in that way. I don't want anyone to know that's what's going on. Does that make sense? You know, I, I, just, I, I just believe what God wants to do. He wants to change us. You know, it's interesting because... Um, can you go back to the slide for a second? Revelation 2, you've got to read Revelation 2 there. Let me tell you really quick what that says. It, 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 you can read it for yourself. It says, I know your works, tribulation, and poverty. Parenthesis, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say, that, say they are Jews and are not, 
And he says this, but a synagogue of Satan. Okay, I want you, uh, there's a lot going on here. Here's what's happening. It's real simple. He is, he is saying that there are places and people that are creating a throne of Satan. In other words, by their behavior and the way they live, they're creating a throne and they don't even realize it and they're worshiping evil. That's the very, that, this right now, this is the goal to, you know, you think, and I was thinking, how, how do we build a throne to Satan in our marriage, in our family, at work, at home? I mean, think about it. How, how might a throne be built like that? I see the altar in a lot of homes with the TV, the, the screen, the things that you're watching. Those become a portal to some really ugly things. And we watch them thinking we can do it with impunity. Like, it doesn't matter. I can watch this stuff and it doesn't get me. <coughs> we do this by the things that we read, the things that we discuss, by what we don't do. You realize you can build a throne by not praying and reading the Word and being in community and all of a sudden all these things you are now... Because if you don't have God's throne in the middle of your life, you're going to have some throne in the middle of your life. You can't live without something because that's the way it works. That's so I believe that what God wants to help us move through, and, and I see this in the church. Next slide now is... Uh, this, here's our strategy, Jesus. <laughs> you know, I mean, you think about it, I mean, Satan can have whatever strategy he wants. And I love it. Because for I determine not to do anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Amen. You know, we're talking about a battle. And you know what? It's going to be tiring to be in a battle. Matter of fact, I think some of us are exhausted, especially by anxiety. I think some of us are, are feeling burnt up because of fear. I think some of us are feeling beaten, bruised because of our insecurity. So what's the strategy? Jesus. Jesus. No Jesus. Only Jesus. That is the best strategy to overcome. Can you say amen to that church? I want you to know that God will heal the anxieties. He will remove the fear. And He can bring you to a place of confidence in Him rather than the insecurity of living in the world we do today. See, if you buy into all this deception, guess what? You're going to be insecure. You're going to be afraid. And you're going to be anxious. So moving away from that and rebuilding the throne of God, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, coming to the place where He is it, it all changes. Your life can change if you and I simply know nothing except Jesus Christ. And when we say Him crucified, that means him crucified, resurrected, and ascended. Can you say amen to that? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for listening. Tune in each week and be greatly inspired and move to deeper revelation. 
For service times and other resources, go to our website at alsc.us or download our app.